want to realize is that our witness matters and the ways that we live and the ways that we present life to other people that tells a story and God cares about the witness that we have and so the idea for the children of Israel is that they were not meant to publicly humiliate someone and just let it be there forever as the body starts to decompose and all these different things are going to go on Kids notice everything. They pick up every little thing that you say and do. Well, in today's message, Pastor Daniel helps you to see that God cares about the way you live. He shares that kids aren't the only ones who are paying attention to what you're doing. People all around you see the choices you make every day. You'll be challenged to let your life reflect that Jesus is real and he cares. You've got an audience, so let your example be a good one. Now, Here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 21 as he begins his message, Randomness. One of the things I know about every single person is no matter how neat or messy you like to keep your home, in every home other than there being a bathroom and a kitchen, everyone always has a junk drawer, right? Isn't it true? It's like there's this place where because you have this stuff that you need in your home and you don't know where else to put it, there's always this one drawer. And I love it. Like you go over to your friend's house and you're you're having a meal over there and you're like, hey, I need some silverware. And if I come over your house, I just pretend like I live there because we're family. So you're mi casa, su casa. And so I just start opening drawers and you always open the junk drawer and everything falls out. And everyone's like, oh, like they're the only one in the world who has a junk drawer. You know, and everything falls. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's so messy. It's like, well, that's the junk drawer. Then you're like, why are you talking about the junk drawer? Well, because actually what we're going to start studying tonight in the book of Deuteronomy, it's kind of like a junk drawer of laws that because they didn't really kind of quite fit in other places, God just put them all together in one spot. And so we have all of these kind of random laws. And what's interesting is that we're moving into kind of the end section of this second telling of the law here. And we're going to have a number of chapters like this where they're just going to be junk drawers full of laws. There's no rhyme or reason to them necessarily. Now, if you've studied the Bible at all, and if you've studied kind of more theoretical theology, there's a lot of discussions within kind of the academic portions of the body of Christ about if Deuteronomy was actually written straight through, or was it a compilation of material from a number of sources? And in a lot of ways, Depending on which way you come out, if you believe that, you know, Moses wrote this whole thing, or if you believe it's a compendium of sources, depending on where you land, that's how you deal with the junk drawer. Some people are like, oh, well, the reason there's this random set of laws is because it was a compilation from these places. They just stuck them all together. Or they say, well, the Holy Spirit likes it random. And, and so, but, it's, but I think it's an interesting theory whether you believe in source theory or not. People ask me all the time what I think about source theory. And I say, well, the Holy Spirit uses human authors. So whether or not one person wrote Deuteronomy, actually Moses never says he wrote all of it. And it actually talks about Moses dying and being buried by 
by the Holy Spirit, or, you know, by God. And so I don't know how he really worked that out. It also says that if Moses did write the book of Deuteronomy in its entirety, it also says that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. So I don't know how you get away with that, you know, if you actually wrote it. But, but the reality is, is we don't hold Moses in higher esteem than any other person because our Bibles are written by people inspired by the Holy Spirit. So as Christians, we always remember that there is an author behind the human author. And I love that reality because what it means is that in our lives, we live and really we want our lives to be driven by the spirit who is the author of life behind the way that we move through this world. And so we're going to jump on in and I'm already telling you in advance that it's going to be kind of a random night of laws. What I do want to encourage you is I kind of love that it's random because I'm a little ADD and so this kind of suits me perfectly. Look what it says. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, picking up in verse 22, it says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. Now, this first random law that we're going to see, it deals with capital punishment. Now, really what we have here is that when somebody has done some sort of crime that is punishable by capital punishment, the idea is if he is put to death and you put him or hang him on a tree. And so the idea is a public execution, some sort of public display of humiliation for a crime that was committed, it says that his body shall not remain on public display overnight, right? But you should surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, what's amazing about this is that in the time that Moses was writing this and the time that the children of Israel were living, as is today, capital punishment is still something that is carried out in a lot of places. And we, historically, when capital punishment is being meted out by a government, oftentimes it's not seen as something that we, we, we want it to be humane. Often it's meant to be a deterrent. And so the idea of someone receiving capital punishment in this culture and being hung out there on a tree, the idea was this is going to be a deterrent. When people see somebody who is losing their life for a crime that they committed and it's on display, the idea of it is when someone sees it, they're going to say, I might not want to do that, right? And so there is a deterrent effect to it. But what's interesting is even in these cases, God is concerned because he doesn't want the body to hang out there overnight because then all the other ways of decomposition begin, whether it be by birds or other things. And in God's economy, it ends up defiling the land. And that's a concept that we've been seeing all the way through the law, that when the children of Israel are going into the promised land, God is concerned about the defilement of the land. And so what that means is the ways that punishment is carried out in the Old Testament, God says, if you do it in such an ostentatious way that you are not thinking about the effect that it's going to have, it defiles the land. And so I just really want to encourage each one of you that what we want to realize is that our witness matters. And the ways that we live and the ways that we present life to other people, that tells a story and God cares about the witness that we have. 
And so the idea for the children of Israel is that they were not meant to publicly humiliate someone and just let it be there forever as the body starts to decompose and all these different things are going to go on. Now, what's interesting is, of course, when I read this, those of you who've spent some time reading the New Testament, that the Apostle Paul expounds on this verse, Deuteronomy 21:23, where it says, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And he quotes this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where the Apostle Paul says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, although in the time of Moses and the children of Israel entering the promised land, Capital punishment by crucifixion was not what they were doing. The Apostle Paul sees by the power of the Spirit that this is a foretelling of the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, who was going to not only die for the sins of the world, but he was going to be hung on a tree. The idea of him being on the cross, a public humiliation. And what's amazing is if you read the writings of the Roman Empire, the act of death by crucifixion was absolutely designed to be the most brutal form of capital punishment, and it was absolutely designed to humiliate the person who was receiving such a punishment and to act as a deterrent within the empire that nobody would ever defy the empire. And so when the Romans came in and they conquered the Jewish people, actually they conquered the Greeks, and who had the Jewish people as part of their empire, Jesus' crucifixion was a public humiliation. Remember, they paraded Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem after they beat him to a pole. They nailed him to the cross. They hung him up there. And if you remember in the story of Jesus, what happened was as he was hanging up there, it was almost time for the Passover celebration to begin. And they didn't want Jesus and the people who were crucified next to him to be still on the cross during the Passover. So they said, let's break their legs. And if you ever read, and you can read, you can go online and you can read medical accounts of how death by crucifixion worked. The reason the breaking of the legs was the way that they hastened the death was because when somebody was crucified, nailed to a cross, they actually didn't die. If they didn't die from all the wounds that they received, they actually died from asphyxiation. Where what happened was, is as your body is getting tired, the rib cage starts to press down on the lungs. And what they would do is, in order to stay alive, they would be able to push down on their feet, on that little foot plate, and they'd be able to get air into their lungs. But when they would break their legs, now you would die of asphyxiation quicker because you have no way to get air into your lungs. It was an absolutely barbaric and brutal form of torture. And the apostle Paul sees this, he says, look, this is the gospel in Deuteronomy chapter 21 because Jesus was cursed. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he's like, look, that's about the Lord because Jesus receive the curse that we deserve because of our failings so that we might experience God's love and his grace that we don't deserve because of our failings. And so the Apostle Paul grabs hold of this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us as it is written. Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now listen, if somebody ever asks you why is Jesus so important? I think this is the most amazing place to start. 
because Jesus received the curse that I deserved. Like, that's the first step in the good news. They call it the gospel. It's the good news. It's the real message of Jesus. All of Jesus' teachings are amazing. But Jesus didn't come just to be a great teacher. He came to receive the curse that we deserve. That's the good news. And so oftentimes when I say that to people, say, well, I don't really know that I've made mistakes. And then you can have the fun conversation with them about that. Because a little bit of introspection, and there might be some of you right now, either here in our sanctuary or watching online, you're thinking, well, you know, I don't really know about, you know, like, you really make mistakes. Of course you did. Every, everybody has. I mean, is there anybody here who would say, I did everything perfectly right in motivation and in action today? Someone always raises their hand, you liars. <laughs> I'm like, how many people? Someone's always like, me, you know? But the idea is, is that Jesus received the curse in our place and him hanging on the cross is a reminder to us of the love of God and God's provision for us that he redeemed us from the curse of the law because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is that up to the righteous requirements of the law, nobody stands to have fulfilled it all in action and motivation. Not one of us. You might say, well, I do some of it good, but all the other stuff you didn't do good. It's kind of like you could be driving great one day, but if you start speeding, you get pulled over. You're like, I've been obeying the, all the traffic laws all day. Say, so, no, 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 but you were speeding there and I clocked you on the clock and now you're going to get a ticket. See, and it's the same way with God's law. And so the apostle Paul sees this reality and he says, this is really about Jesus and it's about the cross. And I'm here to tell you, that's the good news. Like I'm wearing this shirt. It's one of the Crossroads shirts. It says, saved by grace. See, God's grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And what's powerful about that is that I receive the riches of God, the presence of God, the pleasure of God. We get to receive the love of God and the joy of God, but it all comes through Jesus receiving the cross. He received the death that I deserve, that you deserve. And anybody who's self-reflective, when you start thinking about that, you start thinking in yourself, wow, I can't believe God would do that for me. I can't believe Jesus would do that for me. But Jesus said, greater love is no other than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus went, he laid down his life for me and for you. Now, I know there's some of you here right now, you're hearing this and you're saying, man, but I've done too much. I mean, God could never forgive me. And I'm here to tell you, at that cross, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many things that you failed at, there is sufficient power in the love and the finished work of Jesus to forgive you of anything that you've done. And that is so powerful, isn't it? When you realize that there's nothing that we could do, there's no mistake that we can make that God's grace cannot cover if we repent and turn to the Lord and we receive his good love and his good works for us through Jesus on the cross. So when you read that cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, the apostle Paul's like, oh yeah, that's about Jesus. Jesus was cursed for us. He wasn't deserving of that curse, but we were and he stood there, so to speak, in our place. Now, moving on into chapter 22, in verse 1, it says this. It says, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near to you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. Verse 3. 
or you shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, which he lost, and you have found, you shall do likewise, you must not hide yourself. Verse 4, you shall, if you shall not see your brother's donkey or ox fallen down along the road, or hide yourself from them, you shall surely help him lift them up again. Now, what's interesting is all of this is about your brother's animals or his property, right? And really, this law is designed to bring to the forefront the reality that we need to make sure we don't commit what people would call a sin of omission, where it's not, it's not a sin of commission, something that you do that is sinful. It is you choosing not to act because you don't feel any personal responsibility to be involved. And so in each one of these cases, you can imagine you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see, you know, to update the example, imagine you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see a little kid walking up the side of the road all by themselves. You could say, well, it's not my kid, not my problem, Right? And you might say, well, if it's a kid, then obviously we would get involved. But you might see, you know, a donkey walking up the road. And you might say, well, you know, I'm busy. I got places to be. I got to get to get my cardio workout in or I got to get home for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night and Thursday night football or whatever, you know. And so I got places to be. It's not my problem, right? And here what it's saying is actually it is your problem. Why? Because it's your brother's problem and it's not just about you. It's about our community. And so what we have here, it shows that there is a responsibility for the people of God to take ownership over their community and their brothers and their sisters. Really, this is a concrete expression of the principle, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus nineteen eighteen, also spoken of by Jesus as the greatest commandment. And then also the golden rule, Matthew 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's saying, look, if it was your oxen who was lost, you would hope someone would take that oxen and take care of it for you. And then, and what it says is like, if they're there, you give it back to them. If they're not there, you take it home and you care for it. And when they come seeking it, you give it back to them. Or if the livestock gets stuck on the side of the road and falls in a pit, you help them get it out. Because if you were in that situation, that's how you'd want someone to treat you. Now, this is just basic human ethics. But you know what happens? Oftentimes, we don't actually feel the responsibility at all. Where it's like, it's not my circus, not my monkeys, right? It's not my problem. This is someone else's problem. It's not my problem. And really what we find here is, according to God's perfect law, we need to take a different view of it. We need to think, if it was me in that situation, how would I want someone to act towards me? And what it does is it changes the way we look at life. We start to see everything as an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. We look at everything. We say, life isn't about, I just have to take care of my business. I need to be available to help people. I need to live my life in such a way that I make space to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And I think that's a very challenging statement in our day and age because everyone's like, seriously, I got enough to handle Right? I got, there's enough to do. I got to worry about everyone else's stuff. But if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, you start to realize, I need to live differently. And that's what I love about Jesus. 
See, Jesus doesn't just want to put a cherry on top of whatever kind of life we choose to lead. He says, look, I want to show you a way to live. See, Jesus could have very easily said, look, it's not my sin. I didn't do that stuff. That's their problem. So the fact that they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I always do those things that please my father. So Lord, instead of the cross thing, just take me up into heaven on a chariot like Elisha, and we'll be good to go. But what did Jesus do? He took the cross for us. He did what he didn't need to do because he knew we needed him to do it. And he taught us that that's the way to live. And so what I want to encourage you is find all the opportunities every single day to do unto someone else as you wish that they would do unto you if you were in that situation. And say, Lord, will you give me your spirit to invigorate a passion to be available? And as these things arise, just take a little step of faith. Because know what you find? I think one of the reasons our culture has become so unhappy is because you will never be happy if you're just stuck, focused on yourself. And everything about our culture says it's about you. Do everything for you. Design your whole life around the things that you like and the people that you like. And if it doesn't suit you, don't do it. But what happens is, is that when you're on the quest to find your own happiness, it's impossible to find happiness. Because happiness is not a destination. Happiness is a fruit of holiness. And holiness only comes when you live out the reality of who Jesus is. The reason we live in one of the most affluent and also one of the most unhappy cultures is because we've made happiness a destination and not an attribute of the journey that we're on. And when we start to read these things, we start thinking about it. Because you know what happens when you help somebody? When they say, thank you so much for helping. I totally thought my donkey, my oxen, my garment, you know, was gone. Thank you so much. You start to feel like, wow, it's good that I'm around today. Like, I'll give you a great example of this, and it's one of those terrifying things as parents you experience. Our little Obadiah, I mean, now he's not little, he's like a dude, you know? You know, it's so funny. Every time I see Obadiah, I'm like, you're getting a mustache. He's like, no, you know? But I told him he's going to have facial hair. He's my kid, you know, it's the way this goes. But Obadiah was one of those kids where if you didn't keep your eye on him 24 hours a day, you'd lose him. Actually, he'd lose you. You just didn't know it for a little bit. And so sure enough, one day, Lynn was in the store with Obadiah. She turned around for a second, and Obadiah was gone. And there's nothing more horrifying when I get the frantic phone call from my I can't find Obadiah. Like, and literally, I'm like, we're praying. I'm like, I'm, in my, I'm leaving my office. I'm like in the car. I'm like driving down to the supermarket. And I'm like, where is this kid? And sure enough, Obadiah... He went one direction because he's Obadiah and he's doing whatever is happening in front of him. And he lost his mom. He said, well, I'll just ride my bike home. He was three and a half years old. Jesus is real. Today, you were reminded that happiness isn't a destination, but the result of holiness. Pastor Daniel shared that focusing your life on yourself and doing whatever pleases you won't make you happy in the long run. Instead, you'll find a rich and deep joy when you look for ways to be there for others. Your life will be invigorated when you ask Jesus to help you see opportunities to love others with the same love he's shown you. 
Hey everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more from the Blueprint series. You'll continue to explore what it means to step out and serve others. You'll be challenged to consider how to incorporate this outlook into your daily life. Pastor Daniel will also address the topic of gender and gender differences. This topic can bring up lots of thoughts and emotions, but you can be loving and open while humbly sharing God's truth. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Blueprints. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.